X-Ray. Welcome to the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I always don't know whether to go right into... We join you nearly live from the studios of X-Ray FM here in the Falcon Out building in North Portland. Or to say hi. Well, so now I've done both. Now you've done both, <laughs> which confuses matters. You want to carry on, and we'll and then we'll have our engaging chatter after. <laughs> that well, that's always the question: when should we be engaging, and when should we be uh, professional? Uh, with me, as always, is Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including the Beer Bible, and the Widmer Way, and Secrets of Master Brewers. Thank you, thank you for <laughs> amending the script. I think I should I should do that the next time. <laughs> that's okay. I kind of remember most of your books. It's true. Not all of them. There's like the cider one too. That's called like Cider Made Simple. Very oh, nice. I got that that popped up. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah. So I think that's it. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we're done. Thank uh, you for joining. <laughs> <laughs> for me, that's it for me. You are Patrick Emerson, uh, the, uh, uh, an economist at Oregon State University. So. I I am. That's yeah. true. Uh, and across from us, producer Chase Spross. Hi, Chase. Hi, Chase. Thank you. Uh, before we get started, we'd like to thank Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beer Vana podcast. You can find them in Hood River, Oregon and at freembeer.com. That's P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R.com. Okay. Yeah, and I'd like to throw in a special thank you for Freem. This is the last time uh, they'll be featured as our sponsor here, and they were kind of our inaugural tester sponsor. Yeah, what an amazing opportunity for a new sponsor. It is. I would, I mean, if I was a, a beer company involved in the beer industry somehow, I would jump on that. That's right. I would. It's like a rocket ship. Just, you can just hop right on it. Yeah. Just watch the sales go. Yeah. yeah if you look at a sales chart for free beer, <laughs> the upward trajectory that you're going to see, it's us. It's us. Even yeah. the stuff that before that they were our sponsor. That's right. Because people right. sort of anticipated. <laughs> uh, yes. So if you are actually, uh, on a serious note, if you would like to uh, uh, be a partner uh, with us here at X-Ray FM and the Beervana podcast, ping me at jeff at Uh And again, thanks to Freem. Uh, really good sports to work with us here, and we hope that they enjoyed being a part of what we were doing. We certainly enjoyed having them along. Yeah, and uh, they are in the midst of uh, building another facility in Cascade Locks we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, in our previous podcast, we talked about some other stuff going on in Cascade Locks. So Cascade Locks in Oregon is about to become a little bit of a, uh, uh, I don't know, some beer gravity is going on there. That's right. <laughs> There's a reason to pull you off 84 as you're driving down to the... Uh, to the Multnomah Falls. Yeah, they're going to have to make a train or something so people don't get drunk. You know, you need to. <laughs> well, you can just going to be like forty-three breweries between here and Hood River, so you got to <laughs> just get a boat, just float, float down the Columbia, float start up the at, river, <laughs> start in Hood River. Oh, okay. <laughs> start in Hood River, go down. It's always better to start up and then go down. Yeah. And then you I, float down to Cascade Lock, stop for some beers. You float down to Troutdale and. Then well, you keep and, floating. And <laughs> well, no, then you go to the Couve across the river, right? Because there's a million breweries at the Couve. So. That's true, yeah. And yeah. we're not we're not even talking about like the breweries uh, across from Hood River. So right. anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so thank you, for, th thank you to Freem Beer. Uh, it's been great to have you as a sponsor. We also want to tell you about a very special episode of the Beer Vana podcast coming up on January 30th. That's right. Next week. We're excited about this. Unbelievably, it'll be our 100th episode. We made it. <laughs> Only 17 years. 
Uh, and we're going to celebrate by doing a live show at 7 p.m. on January 30th, uh, right here on X-Ray FM. We'll be broadcast live. We'll be broadcasting from Ecliptic Brewing in uh, in Portland, Oregon, and talking to one of the legends in American and certainly in Oregon brewing. Um, uh, so again, at 7 p.m. Thursday, January 30th, uh, uh, 91.1 or 107.1 your FM dial. That's right. John Harris. Did you mention his name? I didn't hear it. Well, you didn't have it here. I know, but... So I didn't know how much you wanted me to tease. That's just me being a poor... All right, uh, here we go. A legend of American brewing, John Harris. Yes. We've, he's, his name has cropped up many, many times. That's right. So, and we, uh, we have failed to, uh, have him on the podcast, which is really a horrible error. Ex- no, it wasn't a horrible error because we were saving him it, for. Well, except that. It's, yeah. we, we needed, thank <laughs> it God. It was all we, planned out. <laughs> yeah, thank God we have somebody who's special enough to have on the 100th episode. So yeah. that'll be great. Uh, it's also exciting for us because we, it'll be the first time that we'll be live on the radio since the 1980s. Uh, so that'll that'll be fun for us. Yeah, normally that would kind of freak me out. But our, our credo from the beginning of the podcast was, uh, we're crap. It's going to be crap. So who yeah, cares? But, <laughs> we'll but, just basically record it as if it's live. That's right. And if you if you hate this, then uh, well, you're not, you're not you're not paying a lot for it. So there's that. <laughs> there's almost nothing we've ever edited out. So it'll be pretty much the normal beer on a podcast experience. That's right. <laughs> Except we have to be very careful about what we say. Yes. Not that we're very, and we're pretty clean. It's only when Van Havik comes on that That's it right. gets. I have to keep him out of the brewery. <laughs> yeah, he's not invited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today we actually have uh, a pretty special edition, a beeronomics edition of the Beer Vonda podcast. Woohoo. Yeah. Go economics. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be welcoming Josh Lehner of the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis. Uh, Josh is a friend of mine, but he also is an excellent economist who's been working for the state for a number of years. His job is to look at the state economy and provide forecasts. That's what the office does. Uh, and so they look at a lot of industry indicators. Um, and one of his personal interests, but also professional interest, is the beer industry. It's not a small thing in Oregon. We'll talk to him about exactly how big it is. Um, recently, he did another one of his blog posts. Um, by his, I mean, uh, coming out on the Office of Economic Analysis blog uh uh, that caught our eye and we decided it would be great to have him on the pod to talk about the beer industry indeed uh and we didn't have to uh we give you a little break we do beernomics but you get a break so everyone's a winner <laughs> that's right i don't <laughs> it's it's always good when i'm not in charge of carrying the weight of this podcast well you know it's, <laughs> it's not. uh it, it, it's it's a, it's a lot of weight to carry so yeah i was turning to you to deliver the the hard-hitting economic news. All right. So we will get to Josh uh, soon. But first, before we do, we have to talk about the news. Final statistics for the hop harvest came out last month, and it was mostly positive. Production for Idaho, Oregon, and Washington in 2019 totaled a record high 112 million pounds, up 5% from the 2018 crop. Combined harvested area reached a record high of 57,000 acres, up 3% from the 2018 levels. Harvested acreage increased in Idaho and Washington, but actually declined in Oregon. Oh, come on, Oregon. Well, that's just because we get more out of less, man. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Quality, not quantity. It's, it's, um, I don't know why that bothers me. You know, but it does. So uh, uh, everybody 
all right, get on your game, Oregon hop growers. Come yeah. on, man. Yeah, because I, I guess just because I'm such a homer and I think Oregon Where's is the, the center Where's the acreage going? Like to beets or something? Come on. <laughs> Probably going to wine grapes. Kale. Which is maybe oh, a lot more valuable. Curse product. the wine industry. <laughs> <laughs> Stay out of the hop fields. <laughs> Actually, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, uh, what is the wine and beer... Uh, sorry, wine and beer. Uh, wine grape vines and hop vines... Uh, look kind of similar. I mean, do they like the same kind of place to grow? Well, I think generally, uh, wine you, is usually on the hillside. Yeah, and you hops can, are usually down below, right? I think you can grow hops in in uh, fewer places. Uh, it's really a, a, a measure of light for hops, mm-hmm. so you need to have a certain amount of sunshine in a day to make the hop really happy and get your your full yields. Um, so you can do that in a lot of places in the north. I think, but uh, the thing is, I don't know anything about wine grapes. We always think. Oh, you have to be in Napa or the Willamette Valley. You can't be in South Dakota and grow good wine grapes. But I have no idea if that's true. Yeah. You could grow good hops in South Dakota for sure, but I don't know if you can grow good grapes. So I have no idea. Yeah. That's it's <laughs> way beyond my pay grade. So we'll leave that. If you know anything about uh, uh, wine, why don't you send us uh, an email and we will put you on in the mailbag. All right. That sounds perfect. All right. Item two, uh, a tweet. This This is a comes from me uh, a tweet about what, what personal went, news yeah, interesting news <laughs> well personal news that i found interesting um a tweet recently went by that reminded me of some european statistics i've been using when i'm updating the the beer bible uh the tweet pointed out that france had more breweries than oh, germany yeah, i saw this yeah it was interesting right uh and that is true uh the stats which come from the trade organization the brewers of europe are pretty fascinating uh and uh, the countries with the most breweries are the start out with the UK at 20, uh, a little over 2000. France has 1600. Germany has a little over 1500. And this is a really mind boggler. Fourth is Switzerland <laughs> wow. with over a thousand breweries. Uh, and Switzerland is a yeah, super tiny country. So that's kind of amazing. Uh, and Italy comes in fifth at 874, uh, but so here's the interesting thing as an, yeah. as an economist, I knew there you, was a butt coming. Uh, you, you, you know, you know, statistics, so you know, you know that this doesn't tell the full picture. Uh, in terms of production, Germany is miles ahead of everyone else, uh, making 94 million hectoliters. Uh, and then when you look at the list, it's, it's interesting. It, it really is quite a bit different than the number of breweries. Poland is second, but it's only it, at 43 million hectoliters just to go to show that no, no country makes even half yeah, as much less than as, half of Germany as Germany. Yeah. Um, they're followed closely by, uh, the UK and Spain and France is sixth, right? So they were, they were, uh, second in terms of breweries and they only make 22 million hectoliters. Uh, and then the final thing is consumption. And here we have an entirely different set. <laughs> uh, and, uh, those who know about consumption know that the Czech Republic of Czechia is way out in front. They, they, <laughs> are, they consume 141 liters per capita. Um, and then Austria, Germany, and Poland are all together at around 100 liters. And then Romania, Croatia, and Estonia are the, uh, in the 80s, uh, 80 liters per, per uh, capita. And France here is uh, 26th where they least, and they drink less than in Cyprus or Greece. So you got to look at all the stats if you want to know what's going on. Still, it's pretty uh, surprising to me, both the number of breweries in France, the the fact that they're sixth in production, uh, given especially that they're tw- they're 26 in personal consumption. So Yeah. I mean, it's a big country, so that's part of it. And there's probably a 
I guess there's some ex, ex, uh, exporting that's going on. That's clearly what's happening with Germany. So. Yeah. The one thing I did notice, and I'm, this is probably too soon to really affect the statistics, but um, uh, the last time I was in Paris, I was really surprised at how much beer has uh, uh, shown up there and even little craft breweries. And uh, I stayed in a little Airbnb <clears throat> right around the corner. There was this um, basically, uh, um, uh, how would you, like a you brew place, a home brew place where you came and used their equipment and brewed beer yeah. under the, uh, you know, under the instruction of, um, of a brewer there who can help you out. So it's, you know, culture is shifting, I think. Yeah, totally. And, uh, I think that's great. And, and the French are doing some really nice work too. It's not just a bunch of random breweries. Uh, the breweries around Lille are doing some of the best work in, in, in all of beer. And then, uh, in other pockets, uh, you're seeing some really creative and interesting and French specific brewing. So it's cool. Yeah. Okay. So uh, why don't we turn now to our interview with uh, Josh Lehner of the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis. And uh, we will, um, yeah, <laughs> turn to that. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, get, let's get him on the horn and see what he has to say. How about we, how about we turn to that? Yeah. <laughs> how about we talk to Josh? All right. Here we go. Okay. And today we have uh, a guest joining us remotely, uh, Josh Lehner of the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis. He's a senior economist there. Josh, hello. How are you? Hey, Patrick. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, Josh, your job as an economist with the state of Oregon is to look at the Oregon economy? Yeah, that's right. Our office, we do the economic and revenue forecasting for the state. So we, we basically tell the legislature and policymakers how much money we think they'll have to spend for the budget. Yeah. And uh, in Oregon, that's a big deal <laughs> uh, because the, the, the law... Uh, uh, relies on the state forecast to determine how much revenue is able to be kept by the state, right? Exactly, right. And, and, and unlike 49 other states, if the money comes in better than expected, if we get more tax collections than, than we think we'll have two years in advance, uh, Oregon returns all of that excess um, revenue to, to taxpayers via our unique kicker law. So, so we, we mess up in both directions and it has policy implications. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little stressful. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that happens even when uh, you can see that times are about to be very bad. So I've seen uh, in, in, since I've lived in Oregon, uh, periods where we're, we're giving a whole bunch of money back right as we're entering a recession and the, 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 the coffers are about to be empty. It's a weird, we have a weird system. So yeah, a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, although in a Keynesian sense, maybe that's a good thing. But we won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the silver lining to the policy is that, you know, it really produces or makes our office produce our best guess forecast. It really is our best estimate. We're not trying to lowball it and get surpluses built up because given our, our policy, we can't, we can't lowball it. If we lowball it, the state doesn't keep the, the, the revenue. Right. 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 So, uh, however, you also tend to spend a little bit of time focusing on the beer industry in the state of Oregon. I, I do, I do. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that I'm, I'm able to dabble in basically anything economic related, as long as you know we have good data or good reasons to to dive into it. I'm, I'm able to explore it a little bit, and I, I certainly enjoy beer. Yeah, and you do a nice job. You guys now have uh, uh, essentially a blog, I guess you'd call it, right? And then a uh, Twitter feed as well, where you blast out uh, these a analyses you do. And that's what made us want to contact you because you spend uh, some of your time thinking about how the craft beer industry in Oregon is evolving. Yeah, e exactly. And given the growth we've seen in the last you know, 20 years, it's certainly something that... that uh, policymakers and, and audiences and, and, and whatnot want to talk about too. So, so it's kind of a natural fit in some ways. Yeah. It, it, 
so I'm not an economist, and I, I don't have any sense of uh, how big our industry is relative to other industries in, in Oregon. Is it a significant industry at this point, or is it uh, just a, a a cool industry that we all like? <laughs> I, I think I think it's much more the latter than the former. It's still it's still small. We're still talking, you know, a handful of thousands of jobs, which is which is nothing to sneeze at. But in a state where we're approaching two million jobs, um, uh-huh. you know, it, it's still a relatively small share. Now, now economically, what probably makes it the most interesting um, is the fact that uh, a the breweries and the alcohol industry more broadly, when you look at distilleries and wineries and and, and beer bars and things. Um, is much more evenly distributed across the state. Uh, we have award-winning breweries in every corner of the state. We obviously have uh, craft consumers in every corner of the state, which is unlike you know some of the the larger employers and the largest headquarter operations tend to be concentrated in our urban communities. So so the alcohol industry and breweries are are really spread out across the state. So it touches more communities, more regional economies than some other sectors. Um, and then I think the most important factor behind breweries in the last decade. Um, is the fact that the startup rate is so high, right? Where we, at the U.S. level, we're so concerned um, that the startup rate across regions, across states, across sectors has really been falling for 40 years now. But that's not true in, that's not true in alcohol. That's not true in, in breweries in particular. And so, so it's a bit of an outlier in terms of these big economic trends and in, in, in business formation rates and all that sort of stuff. Okay, can I do one more follow-up on that? Uh, the, the beer industries, at least... Uh, in the people who make the beer are effectively industrial workers, right? Their, their products aren't cars, they're, they're, they're liquid, but, um, mm-hmm. these guys are guys who work in fact, mostly guys, but fewer, uh, some women now, um, mostly people who work in factories. So is that all, does that also make it a bit of a bright spot since, uh, industrial, the industrial labor force has gone down over time? Oh, absolutely. Right. Again, that's another, that's another part of this, the, the overall economy that's kind of bucking those trends where, where manufacturing-related workers, uh, production workers is what they're called on the occupational side because you're producing something, um, right. those have been declining and, and eroding as a eroding share of the economy for, for a generation or longer now, and, and that's not true on the brewery sense. And so we are getting um, some more of, more of these types of employment, uh, factory workers, as you said, um, via, via the brewing industry, and at its heart, right, at its heart, uh, brewing, brewing is a value-added manufacturing industry, and it can be, you know, to use more buzzwords, it's traded sector, right? You can produce a bottle of beer in a remote corner of the country and then sell it nationally or internationally, and and, and would help bring some of those sales back locally. And if, as long as the profits are retained locally, you invest in community things and and all that sort of good stuff that happens. Um, you know, brewing uh, adds adds a whole bunch of those good components to a regional economy. So I'm going to be a very economist now and talk, talk about supply side and demand side factors. So can you give us a, a sense of what uh, what the history of, of craft brewing in Oregon has looked like? I mean, we sort of went through a boom period and then a little bit of a bust. And now we're how would you how would you characterize the current period relative to the past? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I certainly slower growth and, and, and more of a. A leveling off. I think we're kind of the markets. The market is trying to find its footing, but I think, I think there's big discrepancies. And in, in my insights here, based on looking at the data, mm-hmm. um, isn't wildly different than everything else that I'm that I'm seeing out there. The people that are in the industry and reporting on it and the like, and in that you know we've seen those big 
declines, um, frankly, uh, for for the regional breweries and, and the ones that are that are distributed in the grocery stores and the convenience stores and competing for tap handles and things like that. So so we have the declines in some of those larger regional breweries um, that are weighing on the big figures. And right. but if we look if we look outside of that and we look at um, you know, on-premise sales, or we look at startups and brew pubs and things like that, those are still going quite strong. You know, in, in Oregon, over the last handful of years, we're adding, um, you know, 25 to 30 new breweries a year. Uh, and, and almost all of them, it, it's certainly to start, they're, they're small, but they almost all certainly look to be uh, much more on the smaller scale and, and not these, at least publicly, big, grand, ambitious plans to be 100,000 barrels of beer or anything like that. Yeah. Do you think that's the new normal? I mean, we went through a period where we saw the growth of these big regional Deschutes, Full Sail, Woodmere, those kinds of breweries. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's now uh, where the future is headed. <laughs> Well, absolutely. I, I think I think that it's been going on for for a few years now. I think that's it's I think you're, it's clear that that's no longer the the growth path for for most breweries now. Now, mm-hmm. can a firm succeed that way? Sure, of course they can, as long as they have product and marketing and 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 push behind them. But it's going to be a lot a whole lot harder now. I think the smaller scale brew pub models, or maybe a small production facility with some food carts or what have you, I think I think that's much more sustainable, particularly in the sense that we always see so much churn in the restaurant industry and right. the leisure and hospitality industry. And so, to the extent we're replacing a chain restaurant with a brew pub, or you know maybe the local pizza place goes out, but then a brewery moves in, sort of thing, you know that demand from the consumer, at least that spending on going out to eat, is, is always going to be there. And, and right now, obviously, brew pubs have been hot and, and, and on point for, for you know at least a decade now in terms of the growth. Um, the concern there is at what point, if at all, do consumer tastes change, right? You know, we yeah. went away from um, a lot of those national chain restaurants and we're more local and more brew pubs and things like that. Well, if for whatever reason, consumer trends shift 5, 10, 20 years down the road, you know, then we'd certainly move away onto whatever that next hot topic would be. But I don't, I don't know what that is, but I, I, I envision that that might be a concern in the future at some point. Yeah. So now switching sort of to the demand side, what do you see in terms of consumer trends in Oregon? Is there any sort of demographic statistics or whatever that, that uh, uh, give you some insight into where you think the industry is going to go? Given, given some of the things, you know, harp, harp, you know back, piggybacking on, on some of the things I just said, um, I think we will start to see more um, more growth in some of the underbeard communities, which <laughs> means the suburbs, right? More of the suburbs uh-huh. and some of the rural communities and, and, and things like that. We're starting to see um, a pickup in, in it, maybe not outright breweries per se, but at least outposts in second and third locations in the Portland region and some of the suburbs. Um, some of our more rural communities are adding a, a brewery one or two, you know, a year sort of thing. And so, so I think I, th- I think we are starting to see it even out and, and, and spread even more to, to some of these places that aren't maybe um, considered, you know, top of the list destination for for beer. So, so I think the consumer demand is there. Um, the demand for for spirit sales and alcohol sales and, and and the like is certainly there. It's just you know, who's the supplier of that? Who's the producer that, that you're buying? And, and clearly consumers um, like to buy from the neighborhood pub, or at least they have in the last last decade. Yeah. So Jim Fallows has, a uh, national writer, has this idea about um, the way uh, 
communities develop. And he noticed an interesting thing, which I've riffed on, but I'm not an economist, and I want to ask you about it. Um, he was he was visiting smaller communities throughout the country that were doing well and that were doing poorly, and trying to see what what were the signifiers that that marked. Uh, healthy communities versus the ones that weren't healthy. And one thing he noticed is that uh, craft breweries were in a lot of the healthy communities. And I, and, and my, and I had this theory that, uh, you know, craft breweries are often located in, in places uh, where uh, the part of the community that they're located in are a little down on their luck because you can get cheaper Mm -hmm. rent there. But then those bring people in and it actually creates an engine, uh, a little small engine. And we've seen that in some small towns, I'm wondering, is that something you've seen? It that's one of those things that I uh, I looked at and thought this makes sense, but I haven't actually looked at the data. Um, are are breweries associated with economic health in small communities? I think it's true that they're they're certainly correlated with a lot of good things. Now, whether they're the catalyst or the causation, you know, that can be a little little harder to tease out. And I know. Um, there's a business professor, a pr- professor of entrepreneurship at the University of Portland, um, Sam Holloway, right? He has done some consulting on this, too. And, and, and when he talks about it, it's exactly as you say. It's like, um, you know, breweries starting up, they just need some space. If you go to maybe, you know, not the, the top of the list neighborhood or, or region, you're able to get some lower rents and, and maybe afford it. And, and whether, you know, that is purely the catalyst in and of itself or just part of the process of a of, of some economic growth locally, you know, it, it, some of that can be hard to, to, to disentangle, but we clearly see that. And we, we see it in some of our, our rural communities. Um, and, and I think something, Jeff, you've written about over the years quite a bit is the fact that, um, you know, beer is a very social um, process or a bar or a brewery is a very social and community um, location where, where people get together and, and have fun and, and, and chat with the person next to them or the neighbors and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and another key factor for economic growth, and particularly for economic mobility, and by economic mobility, I mean the probability that you're born poor and you grow up to be a successful adult and earn, earn higher wages and all that sort of stuff is is some sort of factor of social cohesion, right? You know, an integrated community uh, where you have a lot of civic engagement and, and social social activities and things like that, that is a key contributor to, to economic mobility for, for kids. Um, growing up over their life, so so I, I think that's another way that 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 alcohol or breweries could could play into it. Oh man, I love that idea. That if we have good breweries, <laughs> our kids will be happy, well, and, and <laughs> flourish in life. Uh, Josh, I often talk, and it sounds like you have a very similar take. I I am continually uh, convinced that the craft beer industry is sort of evolving into something that looks a lot more like the restaurant industry, where there's uh, sort of shorter lifespans and really high churn. Uh, and I argue with people who are concerned about this, that that's sort of a sign of a very healthy uh, industry and healthy economy where you've got, a, uh, you can have a lot of closures, but you have a ton of start uh, startups as well. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts? I think that's exactly right, right? I think, I think you, you, in, a, in a growing industry like we've seen beer be particularly for the last 10 15 years um you know we it's unbalanced in the sense that we've seen tons and tons and tons of startups you know dozens hundreds of them here in oregon thousands at the u.s level um in very few closures now those closures are starting to creep up but that's mm-hmm. because the total number of breweries are going up it's not so much that that closure rate the percentage of breweries that are currently open, what what percentage will close in the next year? That's still really, really low. And so we kind of have this unbalanced mix with a very high startup rate, very low 
um, closure rate, and I think we'll see normalization. Uh, you would expect that the pattern like this is unsustainable over the long run, so we'll see some some normalization. And, and I think um, there's something to be said for the create, you know, the the, the creative destruction process. In right. That, that the firms that go under to some to a certain extent, maybe they make inferior products or they're located in a bad um, spot in town with not as much foot traffic, or, or maybe came up with trend, uh, their business with trend, plan isn't yeah. is solid. You know, things like yeah. that that would cause a business to go under. Yeah, uh, and I think these days it's probably just trying to keep up with trends, and it might not even be your fault. Like, it's hard to know. Uh, you might get lucky or unlucky, but still, that's sort of part of the creative discussion, destruction process. I was wondering, is there data... Uh, one of the things that uh, we talked about last week in the pod uh, was that uh, there's a lot of sort of breweries that are closing, and, and uh, those spaces exist and are quickly being snapped up by new business people who want to start a new brewery in that same space. So I was wondering whether you've seen any data about sort of uh uh i don't even know what the i don't even know if there is an economics term but the phoenix phenomenon <laughs> the phoenix phenomenon that yeah i was thinking of the opposite which is the the breweries that just languish that never that never uh turn over right i think i think to to in my mind um you know we don't have a necessarily good data on that like kind of a like for like replacement right um but but i think some of it would have to do with just the startup costs and you already have the you know the 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 plumbing in place and all that sort of stuff so it makes a turnkey operation a lot more um, palatable financially which is obviously what we see in the restaurant industry the zonings there the building the build outs there and that sort of stuff so so i think that's another thing that's very akin to the to the restaurant industry yeah, so I would only start really getting worried if all of a sudden there's a lot of closures, not so many openings, and there's these sort of languishing spaces that, uh, that exist. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, neighborhoods change and things change, so there could be some of them. But right now, what I'm seeing is still a, f- a fair amount of uh, uh, activity in in in, in, uh, in those breweries that have closed uh, are starting up again under new 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 ownership or new names. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, so another, I want, I want to ask you about the demographic trends in Oregon. Is uh, Wait, can I throw one thing oh, in there? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, uh, just to weigh in from the non-economic side. Another thing that I know, uh, having visited places that have older beer, uh, you know, countries where brewing has been around for a long time, is sometimes you have closures that are unrelated to economic uh forces or business forces sure it's just uh you know you've done it for 35 years your kids don't want to uh, take over the business and so you shut her down right and it and it, you can you can get in the habit of over interpreting that when in fact it's just <laughs> you know a natural cycle and i think to your point josh um you know the the more breweries we have and the older they get the more likely we're going to see closures for reasons like that as well and those would be not related to the you know, business climate or anything else. Yeah. Well, that dovetails nicely with my question, which was just about sort of demographic trends in the state. Uh, is the population of Oregon aging like it is in other parts of the U.S.? It, it absolutely is, right? I, I think, you know, we, Oregon benefits from an influx of young working age households packing up and moving, moving here, you know, every single year. Um, so maybe we're not aging quite as much, but the, the countervailing factor there is the fact that um, the way I describe it is Oregon also has kind of like an extra large baby boomer cohort, uh-huh. right? Uh, um, the, the, the baby boomers moved to Oregon in, in waves, you know, in the 1970s when they mm-hmm. were in their 20s or their 30s, and then they moved again in the 1990s when they're in their 40s or their 50s. So, right. so Oregon, we, we have, not only do we get the young 
millennials and Gen Zs um, these days, uh, but but we also have a large baby boomer population. So so we're certainly seeing the trends, um, and we're seeing the the bifurcation, if you will, of of you know maybe some of our rural communities. Um, you don't we we all age at the same rate every single day. So you don't age faster than someone else, but it looks like some of our our smaller, more rural c- communities are are aging more because that pipeline or that that influx of young working age households isn't as strong in some of our rural communities as it is in, in Portland or, or Bend or Salem or, or what have you, some of our urban areas, I should say. Right. Yeah, and that's especially true in our in our state where <clears throat> you had up until the 1980s, uh, the extractive industries were really where uh, a lot of the economic health and growth was. And when those started to die, all those rural communities uh, suffered. So I'm sure you've seen that in the data as well. Yeah, of course. So uh, another question I wanted to ask you is uh, just, uh, we, we sort of touched on this at the beginning, but I kind of want to circle back to it. Uh, how much, do, do you know what uh, amount of um, uh, the value of the total exports out of the state the, the craft beer industry represents? I don't have 2019 data, but I, yeah, I haven't looked at that yet. But I believe, you know, we're somewhere in that $10, $12 million range, mm-hmm. um, which is quadruple what it was five, seven years ago, maybe. Um, but it's still relatively small. And I think that's uh, maybe, I, you know, I, I, I am not well versed at all in craft beer internationally. Yeah. Um, but you would think that um, that would be a, a, a potential avenue of growth. And obviously some breweries do it, but, but not as many as, as could yeah, that, do it, I think. That's yeah. tiny. $12 million. That's, that seems like a room to grow there. That seems crazy small to me. Oh, yeah. In terms of, yeah, growth. Growth path. Well, but that, that, but so the countervailing trend this is what I was wanting to explore a little bit is the fact that we don't, we're sort of the average brewery size is getting smaller. We're not having those big, big regional breweries, which are the ones you'd expect to be like to shoot shipping its beer all over the region and maybe in, uh, I assume into Canada and other parts, rogue going into Japan, things like that. Uh, uh, I'm wondering if now, because the, the, the change in the, uh, in the industry, sort of focus more on smaller breweries is going to uh, cause that to contract. That's interesting, right? And, and we've heard we've heard stories uh, anecdotally over the years that some of our smaller breweries um, export too, right? Maybe just like a pallet, right? They just export like just a small amount every few months or something like that. And right. it helps their finances stay afloat um, better, uh, but it's not a consistent pipeline to feeding grocery stores in Japan like maybe some of our some of our breweries breweries do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think, yeah, if, if we're scaling back and, you know, the median, bre- the median brewery in Oregon produces somewhere around 500, 550 barrels of beer a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost going to all be sold over the counter at the pub. Um, you know, th- there's not a lot of spare capacity there to, to export. And so maybe, maybe you're right. Is those regional breweries, um, shrink, um, decline, right size, however you want to say that. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe they have to find other avenues of growth, which might be internationally. But yeah, I think, I think that focus is certainly changing given the, the numbers of smaller breweries. Yeah. Wow. The median is 550 barrels. I didn't know that. That's, that's fascinating. It's quite small, right? Just as a lot of industries, brewing is dominated by a few really, really large companies and then everyone else makes up, you know, small share of the, of the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I go back to the age thing, which is something that uh, <laughs> Patrick gave me language I didn't know existed, uh, which was the demand side. So I'm interested how those populations 
uh, will affect the demand side. Uh, we've had a big influx over the last decade, it, it seems like, uh, uh, at least into the, the Portland area of younger people, which I assume has been good for beer. Uh, and I'm wondering, you're looking at the population trends. Can you game that out? What's going <laughs> to, what, 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 what do you look forward to in the next decade or two based on population changes? You know, if if we're looking at, I, I think the biggest question um, from a beer-specific point of view is if we're looking at surveys and usage data, as far as my awareness and looking at it is, is do, do people's alcohol preferences, are they set at a young age and they stay in place, or mm. do they evolve? Are we going to see the millennials evolve into drinking even more wine by the time they're in their 50s, right? Which is in 20 years, right? By the end of this coming decade, by 2030, all of the millennials will be in their 30s or their 40s at this point in time. So they'll be midlife, right? Or, or mid-career, or what, what have you want to call that. Yeah. Uh, and so will their alcohol preferences shift, or will they kind of stay at roughly the same breakdown between spirits and wine and beer or the promiscuous, you know, being promiscuous across the categories and drinking whatever, you know, they, they, they want. Um, I think that's a big unknown, at least when I look at it. I'm sure there's people out there that know much better than I do. Um, but the underlying demographics, if I look at the surveys I've seen, um, craft beer consumers in particular lean more toward, you know, a little bit higher incomes, higher educational attainment, uh, lean more white, non-Hispanic, uh, things like that, uh, which is something that uh, certainly Oregon has seen strong growth in, right? right. The, the growth in our young college-educated populations, particularly in Portland, uh, has been you know, among the strongest in the entire country in the last uh, decade. And right. so, so I think that, it's, as you were alluding to, certainly pretends to, to better, stronger local consumer demand for, for craft beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, I sort of always associate craft beer with, uh, with youngsters, but, uh, it'd be interesting to see how that evolves. I, I, it, you know, about 10, no, it must be, I'm getting aging, dating myself now, but <laughs> <laughs> 10, maybe 15 years ago, I started to understand, just like we talk about natives to technology. I was starting to look at my Oregon state undergrads and, and realize that these are natives to craft beer. Like their first exposure now to beer is in craft beer and uh, they're all pretty knowledgeable about craft beer. Uh, I'm sure it's even more so now. So it's just something that they've grown up with. But now I wonder if there is sort of a downside to that, which is after a while, then it's no longer exotic. It's no longer new. It's just the same old thing. And they look for something different as they get older. Hey, that's all that's going to be, you know, consumer market research and, and yeah. marketing and things like that, that, that are probably going to have, uh, a lot of insights there that you know I don't have access to right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just musing. Come okay. on, man. We're, we're depending on you. <laughs> the entire beer industry hangs on your answer. Oh no. <laughs> Are there any like particular uh, sort of little nuggets of uh, interest that you've kind of uncovered as you've looked at the Oregon beer industry? Anything sort of surprising? You know, I think in the big picture, one of the things that we care about when we talk about. Oregon's economy and the growth and things like that is, is kind of the, the nature of the broader cluster and, and the supply chains and things like that that have a much bigger impact than just looking at the number of barrels produced or the number of brew pub jobs or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and, and so here in the Northwest in particular, we know that supply chain is pretty local. Um, you know, right. For some of some of the malting and certainly the hops or you know, most of the U.S. hops are grown here in the Northwest and and what have you. But it's really broader than that. I was chatting with um, 
Thad Fisco, right, uh, from from a brewery in Portland Kettle Works. Mm-hmm. And he was saying a couple of years ago that he was looking around at a lot of his um, colleagues nationwide and that a lot of the companies that make brew house equipment, the brewing systems and things like that, at least the domestic U.S. producers, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, something like 40, 40% of them were here in Oregon. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not surprised. In, there were a lot here. It was amazing. Yeah. And so that, so if you're opening up a new brewery in Minneapolis or in Charleston or whatever the case may be, you know, there's a high probability that that equipment you're importing to set up your, your system in your brewery uh, comes from Oregon or comes from the Northwest more broadly. And so that sort of economic impact um, really helps the industry and helps obviously the regional economies. Uh, and of course you can go, you can go with some, you know, European imports or some Chinese imports or whatever. But if we're talking about U.S.-made products, you know, there's a there's a good probability it's coming from Oregon or the Northwest more broadly. And, and, and I think that's really where you see a larger economic impact. And, and, and we're kind of hoping that we get the same sort of thing on the marijuana side, where we're creating a, a new legal industry um, where we grow it. But can we do more to it besides just grow a, a, an agricultural product? Can we do value-added manufacturing? Can we get lab testing equipment? Can we do the production stuff here um, that would drive, you know, a, a real economic benefit to marijuana more than just, the, um, you know, the, the retailing and the growing operations? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to add a little anecdote, which is my story about being in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina, and walking by this little local brew pub, and they had a big plate glass window that they showed the brewery behind there. And I looked closely at, uh, it probably was a conditioning tank or something, and it was a JV Northwest. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one thing that we've been talking about, Josh, is that the uh, the Pacific Northwest kind of had a first mover advantage on beer. Uh, we had all these old regional breweries, uh, Ole, Blitzweinhard, Rainier, which meant we had things like Great Western Malting and the hops industry here. And then when we started having craft brewing, we had things like JV Northwest, Northwest, which Patrick just mentioned. Uh, we had a yeast lab open up. We had all these mm-hmm. kind of adjacent industries. And it, when you mentioned the cannabis industry, I'm thinking uh, probably the, the states that went legal first will begin to build that infrastructure. And if it does go national, we'll have an advantage because they'll have those th- things in place as well. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of cool. Does your office, is your office paying close attention to the to the evolution of the cannabis industry in the state now? We are. We're we're also tasked now in the last couple of years with forecasting um, recreational marijuana tax collections. So, right. So it's certainly been on our, our radar. We, we weren't initially, but we've been brought into the process the last couple of years. Interesting. Okay. So I have one one last uh, question re- related to one of the uh, posts that you had up, uh, which which looked at uh, kind of the different how the state was doing in different parts of the state and you broke it, uh, employment down between the Portland, uh, MSA, um, the other kind of, uh, midsize cities and then r- the uh, rural part and showed how, how the state was, did not rebound from the economic, uh, downturn in equal measures. And I'm wondering, uh, how does that affect beer? How does beer affect that? Is, are you, are you able to add any insight into whether, you know, like is beer going to be more helpful to those poor, those poor rural communities or are they going to have a harder time uh, supporting beer because, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know. Have you, can you, can you relate those two trends? I I think you just hit on both of those, particularly for some of our our rural communities, right? And so, you know, only uh, technically, you know, 
a, not even a third, you know, a little more than, a, you know, about a third, right? A third of our rural communities have recovered from the Great Recession. Two-thirds have not. They have fewer jobs than they did a decade or, you know, 15 years ago, let alone some of them have fewer jobs today than they had back in the 1970s. So um, on the demand side, I think, you know, that makes it much harder to support local businesses of all stripes, whether it's accountant, accounting services or, or brewery or restaurants. And, and, and so the, the demands there, to, the, to you, the comments you were bringing up earlier, Jeff, um, you know, to the extent that a brewery can be a catalyst or to the extent that a brewery can be a, an attractive place to help grow an economy where people get together and they gather, um, it makes the community more attractive so people will want to move there. A lot of our, a lot of the struggling ec- economies nationwide, but in Oregon too, um, is, is population loss, or at least in Oregon, not population growth. They're kind of, they're kind of, you know, leveling out and not seeing the gains that some of our urban communities and our metropolitan areas are seeing. And so, so I think it, 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 it goes each way, but I, I would tend to lean towards, um, you know, it being a, a positive boost rather than, than, than a, a drag due to the demographics per se. All right. Yeah. All right, Josh, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I want to congratulate you, by the way, on the advancement of your Kansas City Chiefs yeah. to the uh, AFC Finals. Oh, thank you. I was going to ask, are you from Kansas City? Your your, your Twitter handle suggests some <laughs> fandom there uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. That is. So so I was born in Oklahoma, um, so I'm a Sooner, uh, but I spent half my childhood in, in Kansas and then the other half in Colorado. And so I, my allegiances were set um, back back then. So I'm definitely a Chiefs fan and not a Broncos fan. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> a big that, that's a big decision point there. Those, those are, you, you're, you're in one camp or the other. Uh, my experience being in Colorado, it's hard to live in Colorado and not become a Broncos fan. But yeah, and it's probably really bad to be a Chiefs fan. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know the disappointment just um, builds up over the years. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this, this could be your year. As, yeah, it, as a Packers fan, I'm kind of hoping that uh, we can both make it to the uh, to the Super Bowl and and uh, have a replay of Super Bowl one. Oh, I, you're right. Yeah, but but being the hundredth anniversary of the NFL, we're going to see a reverse outcome. We're going to go. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about that. Although I have to say, I caught the uh, the only like the first, well, the, most of the first half uh, of the of the, the Kansas City Chiefs game, and that was the most dramatic football, the most dramatic quarter in football I can uh, I can remember. So yeah, uh, I'm a little scared. If yeah, I bet. Have to <laughs> I bet there were a lot of uh, poor Chiefs fans who were rushed to the hospital only to arrive and and uh, realize they didn't they didn't need to be having that heart attack. <laughs> Enough Chiefs fans who, yeah, was, who smashed their television. It was a good weekend overall for 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 the Chiefs Kingdom. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, good luck with that. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. So, uh, are you the the main person who who uh, uh, takes care of the Oregon economic economic analysis uh, Twitter feed. I am. I'm really the only one. Yeah, I, that's what I. So that's at uh, or underscore econ analysis. So that's that's where you can find Josh, uh, the professional Josh, uh, tweeting about many things related to the Oregon economy, but also uh, from time to time about craft beer in Oregon. And what's your personal handle? Uh, it's it's Laner JW. So all right, and all right. I think that one is. Uh, features beer more often probably so. <laughs> well it features, it features the demand side was yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, it beer it's beer and sports and, and that's about it and, and barbecue yeah and bar- oh a lot of a lot of barbecue a lot of barbecue <laughs> <laughs> all right josh thanks very much for joining us and uh we really appreciate it and hope to see you soon of course my pleasure all right thanks okay thanks to josh for joining us from his office in salem that was very cool that was that was a lot of fun it's always good to do economics yeah 
it's very sobering we'll have to have <laughs> <laughs> uh we'll have to have josh back on when economic news crops up as it always does yeah okay before we go any further we'd like to thank one last time freem family brewers for sponsoring the beer vana podcast freem has a new slate of beers coming out this winter including flanders red and flanders blonde both aged 18 months in oak barrels and keller beer it's crisp rustic lager and super saison a special strong winter ale Mosaic Pale Ale, and Ode Brune, Freem's Age homage to the old beers of the Belgian Flanders. Yum. Yeah, uh, thanks, Freem, for sponsoring us uh, all this time. Uh, shout out to anyone interested in uh, occupying that space. That's we're, right. We're available. <laughs> but we thought uh, as, a, as a, a way to go out with, uh, for our Freem sponsorship that um, they've provided us some delightful beer, and uh, we have a very special one. Why don't you tell us about it? Uh, well, it's called La Mieux. La Mieux. Maybe that's what it's called. La Mieux. It's, it sounds incredibly cool to say it that way. <laughs> and this is one of their, um, their barrel-aged beers. Uh, this one has wine. Uh, it's a white wine barrel-aged beer with uh, uh, Oregon f- f- uh, mix of fresh Oregon fruits, which they do not identify. So we are going to see if we can figure out what, what they're, what's in there, I think. All right. You want to- That's your challenge. You, you want to crack it? It's a cork and cage, so I'm going to- I, you better leave this to me. Yeah. <laughs> you also have better access to Edwina. I'm kind of blocked by my own mic here. So. I don't know how effervescent this is going to be. Ah. Effort, I'd say a lot. Ooh, look at how dark that is. I really, uh, it's like Pop Rocks. Yeah. Man, that is. That is red, by the way. That is, yeah. It, the, the beer itself is dark and red and the head is very red. Yeah, it. It's like, inten- it's intense, yeah. intense. It's quite striking. Yeah, and there's not a lot of uh, light getting through the, the beer. Oh, the head is dissipating fast. Yeah, that could be an alcohol-related go. Uh, thing. Let's see what we got here in terms of booze. Mm. Ooh, that's nice. Uh, oh, it actually says uh, black cap raspberry and marionberry. Oh, yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah, I know. That's I didn't the first thing that came to my mind. I didn't uh, actually. In all honesty, yeah, the sort of raspberry marionberry flavor profile is fairly present. It's very nice. Mm. It's very nice, and I like the way that the sort of tan tannins from the wine barrels kind of dry it out nicely. Yeah, that's very summery. That just tastes like uh, summer to me. Does it? Yeah, those in, berries just taste in the heart of winter. I know it's nice. It's nice. <clears throat> right. So, uh, yeah, we'll use this as a cheers to Freem for sponsoring us. Oh my uh, God, that head is just crazy. It's been incredible to be in a partnership with such a, <laughs> there you go again, uh, uh, with such an accomplished and um, interesting brewery. So, uh, cheers. Shall we cheers, Freem? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to drink straight from the bottle. All right. Yeah. Mm. I should probably have done that. I'm the one who doesn't mind doing it, but... That's okay. Go. I've already decanted and I've had a good whiff. Yeah, that's true. Whiff of it. Uh, okay, so we're gonna that'll that'll be our beer sherpa for today. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good beer sherpa. I agree. <laughs> All right, so that was Lemure from uh, 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 Freem. As you said, it's got raspberries and blackberries. It, it's um, really nicely dry, a little bit tart. The flavor is great. It's not cloying, and as I say, that white I can tell the white wine barrels that flavor comes through, but in a really nice way. Yeah, and the berries are just, it's full of intense, lovely berries. It pops, yeah, yeah. it really pops. Okay, so now we're going to turn to the mailbag. Uh, last week we didn't do a mailbag, so we are got to catch up. 
uh, why don't you start with a first? <laughs> All right. I... I will. So some guy named Chase Spross, <laughs> Portland, Oregon, uh, <laughs> wrote in, uh, and uh, he, this is, I, I will just read it. Uh, he, he's smiling from the booth. Uh, it's a comment, not a question, but in reference to your musing about uh, what would have uh, been with the Foo Fighters had Nirvana not ended, Dave Grohl, <laughs> so this is uh, uh, one of those uh, comments about what we were chatting about. I can't remember how long yeah, ago Yeah, one of these side comments, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave Grohl actually, so he's the drummer of uh, Nirvana and the founder of the Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl actually made and shared the Foo's demo tapes all the way back in 92 and even showed them to Cobain before he passed. So likely there would have been some version of that band around uh, today. Interesting. I wonder how the tension would have played out if Foo Fighters... Uh, the trajectory was the same, which you'd expect. Yeah, you would expect. I mean, so it seems like it... it seems like Dave Grohl was uh, a talented lead man kind yeah. of guy, and uh, probably yeah. wasn't going to be held down. I for don't very think long. he lasts in Nirvana because his uh, the, the drummer being the drummer kind of kind of sucks. And in fact, the I, I forget who <laughs> Chase laughed at that. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to be the drummer. <laughs> well, there I, I saw an interview with the guy, actually the Foo Fighters drummer, who Chase probably knows the name, but I don't. Uh, and they're just talking about the physical toll. It's like exhausting drumming for like an hour and a half or two hours in a concert yeah. in a rock band. Yeah, and you can tell that the Foo Fighters is arranged by a drummer because it is aggressive drumming. It's like very rhythmic, and mm -hmm. that that drummer gets a workout. So yeah, yeah, yeah he's lithe. You gotta yeah. be, yeah, you gotta be fit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, uh, Dave Grohl is a really talented guy. There was um. Man, I won't go too far into Dave Grohl, but he seems like he's a funny guy and a nice so, guy. So they do this thing where they invite random people from the crowd up and uh and and like they'll they'll let them drum or play or something. And I was recently watching these on YouTube. Oh, and really? uh yes, so uh Neil Pert recently died, Rush Rush drummer, yeah. and uh they did this thing where Dave took the drums Legend. and they played uh Tom Sawyer and they invited a guy up to sing the Getty Lee vocals. <laughs> and it's pretty darn remarkable. So I highly recommend that on YouTube if you want to check that remarkable out. Remarkable in what way? Um Well, first of all, it's a high wire act. He yes. just pointed at a guy in the crowd and uh, you know, he, he said, You gotta be able to bring it. You gotta be able to hit the high notes. Uh, -huh. uh and then, you know, it's a it's a such an iconic song and it was such a mashup that there's a hundred ways it could have gone wrong and yeah. uh so it was just it it was kind of riveting viewing for me that 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 band by the way we're now <laughs> we're morphing into our other podcast that's right uh today in rock music or yesterday in rock music <laughs> rock music from our youth uh but um but rush i mean what what an amazing trio of talented musicians yeah I just i could never i could never get around how how uh, uh, Giddy Lee could to do his bass riffs and sing at the same time and just keep it all together. And then Neil Peart was amazing. And yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Okay. R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, rest in peace. Okay, uh, Justin Nelson from Portland uh, writes, my friend sent me a few bottles of New Glarus Wisconsin Belgian Red, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I really would not even consider it a beer. It was amazing. Wait a minute. What are you trying to say about beer? <laughs> <laughs> what is driving me crazy is that I cannot find anything like it for sale. I keep searching fruit beers at Belmont Station, but still have not really found one. I would say that founders... Go ahead. I don't know. Rubeus? Rubeus? Okay. Yeah. Uh, has been the closest, but still not the same. You know this one? Uh, founders Rubeus? No. New Glarus. Oh, New yeah. Glarus, Wisconsin, Belgian Red. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a really important... Um, uh, wild ale, one of the very, very first made in America back way back in the mid nineties. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. when we were there. Uh, yeah, I think it was, 
maybe right after we left, uh-huh. I, I came back to Oregon and uh, Dan Carey worked at, <laughs> this is funny since we've just been talking about it, Pacific, uh, 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 JV Northwest. Sorry, oh, right, right, I was right. going to get there. Um, the the, the uh, stainless steel manufacturer makes brew houses. That's right. Yeah. And he, so he had a connection to Oregon and he was shipping that beer here. Uh, which was super cool because they don't it doesn't leave the state now uh-huh. and he would come out for the uh, spring beer festival uh-huh. and uh, serve that beer along with raspberry tart which is another version of it but with yeah. raspberry mm-hmm. um, this one uh, belgian red is a sour ale made with cherries okay. uh, Bing, uh class the door door county Bing cherries I, and, are those door county cherries whatever those are yeah door county uh is it so is it wild inoculated Absolutely. So that's why it's unique. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very early. So yeah. Sorry, Justin. You're not going to find anything only can locally probably. Well, no. What would you recommend? Do you have a recommendation for Justin? I mean, when Dan made those beers, they were a pure homage to the uh, uh, lamp, the Creek Lambics from Belgium. So mm-hmm. I would say go to the original and get yourself. You can find if you look in uh, if you're at Belmont Station, most most places you go, you can find uh, some of the creeks from the traditional lambic makers. Um, you can usually find uh, Frank Bones Creek. Uh, that's one of the most available, but you'll find others too. You might find an an Ode Beersel or a, 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 another one. Uh, like Girardin makes one that's very nice. So, okay, uh, I would try one of those. Those are um, the originals, and so see what you think of those. Cool, excellent, good advice. Uh, well, thank you, want, you. You want me to do the last one? See, sure. Dimitri through the podcast Twitter account. Excellent. Yes. This is good. Way to go, Dimitri. Yeah. Be, way to be old school <laughs> using the Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, we guess we need what, a Snapchat or a Instagram or something. Okay. Uh, so what would you consider your top 10 cities in the U.S.? We're talking about beer cities. You mentioned Portland and D.C. Yeah, we didn't really... So we kind of, that's a good we point. We totally kind of punted on the whole thing, yeah. didn't we? We talked about what makes a good beer city. We never actually came up with a list. And now on the spot, I didn't know this question was coming, but you probably did. So go ahead. Well, I thought we would maybe crowdsource this since neither of us has been to all the cities, mm. but together we've been to more of them than we have individually. Yeah. So let's, I mean, we can talk about the ones we've been to. I would say, uh, so obviously Portland, Oregon, we're going to put on that list. We yeah. think that's pretty good. I would throw in Portland, Maine. I was going to say the other Portland is arguably as competitive, uh, as, as this org, uh, this one that is, is amazing beer city. So right. yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And, and if, and if we can kind of, because Maine is sort of rural, I think we can kind of include a bunch of the area around Portland, Maine, because you get, if you, if you venture out a little bit from Portland, you'll also be delighted as well. Sure. Uh, okay. I think San Diego. So I was about to say San Diego. You can't, you kind of can't forget about San Diego. Yeah. And, and so there's a few of the old lines. So Denver, these are a few gimmies, I would say. Yeah. Den, Denver's interesting. Uh, uh, I was, I, I, I was very homesick, beer sick when I, at the time I was in Denver, but I think the, the scene has grown considerably since then. And now it's pretty darn good. Yeah, it really has. It's changed a lot. And I think, uh, they are making a much w- wider range of beer than they were when you were there. You left there a long time ago now, like a yeah, decade 2006. ago. Yeah, 2006. Yeah, we're talking a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. So, so so there was um, uh, Wine Coop Brewery, the, you know, John Hinkenlooper's thing, um, which was okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, uh, I don't know, fly, was Flying Dog still there? Anyway, but, you know, it was a, Boulder was around, they were very good. It was, it was a decent beer scene, but. Yeah, I think it's gotten a but lot not, better. But not super exciting. I guess that's the thing. It's not, not super exciting. It's much more exciting now. There's wild breweries there. and uh, Yeah, Great Divide. That's another one, right? Cool, cool breweries doing cool stuff. So I, I put Denver on it. All right, I'm going to ask you, what about Boston? Uh, yeah, 
Boston's okay. Um, I mean, I'd have to think that one through. It's certainly on the bubble. I think that uh, uh, there are cities that used to really suck. Like we used to talk about how bad Chicago was. Mm-hmm. It was like a laughing stock. <laughs> <laughs> you, you used to dis- describe the breweries there in uh, colorfully uh, derisive <laughs> terms. And I would say Chicago now is definitely, definitely top 10. And another one, which is another city that you know well, is San Francisco. Also really crappy beer city for a long yes, time. Yeah. And it has finally really picked up its There's finally so much wealth. <laughs> that you can afford, <laughs> the rich, right. you, rich guys can afford to, uh, yeah. Um, the other one that I'm going to mention, this is not, I'm going to go out out of the country, but say Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, that's right. It's and not US, but it's close enough. We can wave them through. Yeah. Uh, and, in w- fact, in fact, if you kind of loop in Victoria, which is a stretch, but what the heck, if you're going to go there, you might as well go to Victoria as well. Yeah. It's got a good that's a fa- That's a fabulous pair. You're doing, you're doing great. Yeah, I, I think I, I would definitely agree with those. Yeah, I don't know. Boston is, is interesting because uh, you've got a couple of breweries that I think are, are really well regarded in Trillium and Jack's Abbey, but then you have a bunch of breweries that are not as well known, but should be actually. So I think they should get more credit on this yeah. score. Like there's this brewery called Bog Iron that I uh, went to once uh, that I really liked a lot and nobody knows about it and they make great beer, but yeah, yeah and you Boston's sort of, so weird that way. And you sort of have the weird long shadow of Boston Beer Company, which isn't sort of not exactly really <laughs> right. It's a it's actually a, a har- <laughs> it's a Harpoon City, and I yeah. think Harpoon is a great brewery. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a good brewery. I think I think Boston and Philly are in this category of um, got to be in the conversation. I'm not sure where on the where I'd put them. And then and then there's breweries uh, like North Carolina has good breweries. Asheville. Yeah, we've uh, neither of us have ever been to Asheville, so we can't ex- exactly. we can't speak to Asheville. Uh, so I, I've been to Richmond, Virginia. I thought that was a great beer city um, in the South. I, I would throw that one in there. Yeah. I've never been to Austin. I think that's. Yeah, I was about to mention Austin. Yeah, routinely. So there's a lot tried. of places we haven't been. Uh, we can't say, but uh, yeah, uh, chime in. What uh, tell us what you think? Yeah, good and, beer cities are and why. Oh, and I think Minneapolis would would uh, probably consider Minneapolis as well. Uh-huh. I was there a couple of years ago for. Uh, uh, an event. Um, yeah. And, 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 and as an added, uh, teaser or a, a, inducement, um, which, which cities that people don't know very much about, uh, would you, would you throw in there? Which, you know, like in Oregon, we would say you should go to hood river and no one would ever have heard of hood river and right. it's, it's remarkable. So those kinds of towns would be fun to throw in there too. So let us know. All right. There you go. Okay. A few words going out. Once again, we want to extend a final hearty thank you to Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beer Vana podcast. You can find them in Hood River, Oregon and at freembeer.com. P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-R.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, Spotify, or <laughs> Stitcher. Oh, there it is. I t- yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, don't we own Spotify? Well, you have it in the script, uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the contributors to the mailbag this week. Please send your questions or comments, musings, philosophies to Jeff at Beer Von the Bog. Complaints. Complaints. Well, yeah. yeah send them to Jeff. <laughs> or on Twitter at Beer Von Pod. Jeff blogs at the Beer Von blog and he tweets at Beer Von. And Patrick tweets at Beeronomics. Cheers, Jeff. All right. Oh, well, we, we only have we one only beer. Have one. Well, well, you're going to do the bottle I'll this time? I'll do the bottle, yeah. That's very unhygienic. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll do the Indian pour. Not, I'll just go straight in the mouth without touching the lips. All right. Yeah, there we go. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.